Uh, today, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah? I've been preaching a series of sermons, giving an overview of the book of Isaiah. My goal is to preach six or seven sermons. And Isaiah is divided into seven different sections. And today we're going to be on the fifth section of Isaiah. I'm trying to find it in your pew Bible, what page to turn to. Turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, you'll find this on page 1119. But also, the second passage I want to read is Isaiah, around Isaiah 45. And that's on page 1120, 131. (coughs) Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 45. Let us begin with a word of prayer, then I'll read. Heavenly Father, we pray you'll strengthen us with your word, encourage us with your scripture, and give us, Lord, your insight on how these passages rightly apply to your church, your chosen, your Israel, even today, your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, (laughs) verses 1 through 5 says, Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Pause right there and turn to Isaiah 45. And you'll notice some of the language is repeated here in this chapter. But let me start reading in chapter 48, the last verse, where it says in verse 28, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, his servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is none other. 
I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, last week I preached on what I would call the third section of Isaiah. That is chapters 28 to 35. If you turn in your Bibles, please, to chapter 36, you'll see where that third section ends. That third section of Isaiah dealt with the woe or the curses of God, but also it anticipated the wow, that is, the blessings of God and the graces that would come later. The fourth section of Isaiah begins in chapter 36. But I preached a whole series of sermons on the life of Hezekiah. Chapter 36, 37, 38, and 39 deal with Hezekiah, and it deals with the Assyrians surrounding Jerusalem. God delivers Jerusalem from the Assyrian army because Hezekiah prays. He was a godly king. That's the fourth section of Scripture there in the book of Isaiah. And now we begin the fifth section. The fifth section of Scripture, as you heard in verse 1 of chapter 40, it takes a decisive turn or a corner, and it begins with two important words, or one important word, repeated twice. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people. And in that passage it says, her warfare is over, it's ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. This fifth section of Isaiah starts... In, verse, in chapter 40, and it goes all the way to chapter 48. And when you compare this fifth section with the third section, there's some comparisons and contrasts to make. The third section dealt with a first fruits. It dealt with God's threat of warfare. In this fifth section, there's a full fruit, meaning there's no threat of warfare against Jerusalem. There's comfort going towards his people. Also, in the third section, there was a promise, some first fruit promises of the land being restored and the people being restored and the people being redeemed. But it was like first fruits in the third section. Now in the fifth section, we have a full fruit redemption. We have a grand theme of God's people coming out of Babylonian captivity, of returning to the land of Israel, and we have the fullness of God's grace being poured out upon them in various sections of Scripture. It's some of the most beautiful reading of Scripture you'll ever read in the Scripture, and that is chapters 40 to 48, nine whole chapters here. So what I want to do today, to quickly and briefly summarize these nine chapters, is to point out two Primary point. Number one, we're going to look at God's prediction. And then we're going to look at God's people. God's prediction. It's important to know when Isaiah wrote this. When Isaiah wrote this, it was in the latter parts of the 700s B.C. And then at that time when Isaiah wrote this, they were dealing with the Assyrians. The Assyrians was the great world, world power threatening Jerusalem and other places. That's what it, you read about in the fourth section of Isaiah. But in this fifth section of Isaiah, he is not addressing the Assyrians. 
He's addressing a kingdom that will come after Assyria. And you'll notice as well, he's going to identify and name a king who's going to come after the Babylonians. And that's Cyrus, as we're going to see. What I'm getting at is this. The book of Isaiah here, in this fifth section, he is dealing with events that are going to happen about 200 years after his time period. About 200 years after his time period, the Babylonians will be the severe threat against Jerusalem. And God predicts the destruction of Babylon within this section of Scripture. And in, in addition to this destruction of Babylon, God even predicts that there's going to be a king, a king from the east. And there's two places in this section, in this passage of Scripture, where he predicts the east, this man from the east. In chapter 40, 41, verse 25, he says, I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the east. And some translations say, from the rising of the sun. He shall call on my name. He shall come against the princes as though mortar and as the potter treads clay. And then later in chapter 46, verse 11, God predicts about this king coming from the east. He says, God is calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I've spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. Who is this man from the east that Isaiah predicts that will come and bring destruction against Babylon? It's the man I just read about to you in chapter 44 and 45. His name is Cyrus. What's very important, though, to remember, again, when did Isaiah write this? Close to 200 years before Cyrus was born. And here Isaiah is predicting the future. God is predicting the future through his prophet and proclaiming what's going to happen. Cyrus is going to come in there, destroy the nation of Babylon, release the people from Babylonian exile, bring them back and build the temple and build the city of Jerusalem. This is all in the future of Isaiah. This is giving hope that no matter what they go through in the future, God is going to be gracious to them in the end. God often predicts the future in the Bible and even shows fulfillments in the Bible. For example, this future prediction that Isaiah mentions here, it's fulfilled in Daniel chapter 5. In the book of Ezekiel, God predicts the future about something called Gog and Magog. And that's fulfilled in the book of Esther, whenever you had the enemies of God trying to kill the people of God, and Esther rises to the rises to the occasion and brings deliverance for the people. Also, as we saw in Sunday school, God predicts the future through Daniel about what's going to happen after Daniel's time period up into the coming of Christ Jesus. God also predicts the future in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus says that one day Jerusalem is going to be sacked by Rome and surrounded by their enemies. And that happened. That future event happened in A.D. 70, 40 years after Jesus was crucified. Let me give you two main reasons why God predicts the future 
so much in the Bible, and shows how that future prediction comes to pass. The first reason God does this in the Bible is to mock idols. When you read this fifth section of Isaiah from chapter 40 to 49, uh, 48, there's various passages of Scripture where God is mocking the idols that Israel has made or that the nations are worshiping. They think the idols know the future. They think the idols can see, speak, and hear. And what God does, he speaks to the idols and he says, come on, you tell me. Do you know the future? Do you know what's going to happen, good or bad? Tell me. Try to prove me wrong. And God's mocking them. Because what? They're speechless. They're blind. They're dumb. They're a man of God's... They're, they're, they're made out of the, man's of the hands of man. Listen to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 23, as God mocks this idol. He says... This, just listen to this, 41, 23. He's, he's speaking to idols here. He says, show the things that are to come together that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good, do evil, Mr. Idol, basically who he's talking to, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. What you have here is God's mocking the idol by bringing it to a contest. Can you predict the future, Mr. Idol? Baal, Molech, and all the idols that the nations worship. Can you predict the future and bring it to pass like I do? I can bring anything and everything to pass, and that's what I do. So over and over again in the Bible, you see, especially in Isaiah here, God making a prediction of what's going to happen, and then you see the rest later in the Bible a fulfillment of that prediction. That's the first reason God predicts the future and brings it to pass in the Bible so he can mock, mock idols. The second reason that God does this in the Bible is to make you trust him and to make you trust his written word. The point is this. God wants you to see the Bible is true, infallible, and authoritative. God wants you to understand that you can look back at the Bible and see where God predicted something and where God brought it to pass. When you understand this and you put your, your trust in the Scripture, it helps also explain something else. It explains why God no longer predicts the future. God no longer tells you what's going to happen 100 years from now or 200 years from now. The only thing that you and I know is going to happen in the, in the future is that Jesus is going to return and raise the dead. God does not want you to know the future events that are going to happen 100 years from now or 200 years from now or 5,000 years from now. He just wants you to trust him. But this is why that God does predict the future in the Bible and bring it to pass in the Bible so that your faith will be resting upon the Scripture. If you ever hear somebody predict the future, if you ever hear somebody tell you about events that are going to happen 50 years from now, especially if they say they have a word from God saying this is what is going to happen in the future, you know it's a lie. 
you know it's false. The only sources and places where future, the future is predicted and it comes to pass is it's in, it's in the Scripture so that you can look back and God is pointing to the Bible saying, look, I have brought all that to pass. You, Christian, can look back at the Scripture and say, look what God promised and then look what God did. Therefore, whatever is in the Bible, I can rely upon. Whatever promise of salvation or comfort is in the Bible, I can bank on and rest on. This is why the Scripture is the infallible authority. This is why Scripture is inspired by God. And no man's imagination is inspired by God with infallible authority. And anybody who tries to predict the future, they are essentially a false prophet. So that's a type of idolatry that God likes to cast down. But why is he doing this with the scripture in predicting the future for his people? Because it goes back to that one word that's repeated twice in Isaiah 40, verse 1. That word is comfort. Comfort my people. There's one other theme. This is the second point I'm going to make today about God's people. There's a theme, a word that's repeated over and over again about 12 times in these nine chapters. And it's the word servant. God calls his people my servant. Look in chapter 45, verse 4. He uses it here. He says, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. The name Israel and Jacob is referring to the same. Jacob is the one who wrestled with God, and God upgraded his name to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And the way you need to understand this is that this applies to you, the church. You are Mr. Jacob. You are Israel today. When you read about Israel in the Old Testament here, the way it applies today is it applies to you. When God says, I've chosen you, Israel, he's talking to you, church. You're the elect of God. You're the chosen bride of God. And all your warfare is over. It's ceased. There's no condemnation. This is why, and this is why when God speaks about his servant, he's talking to a group of people, a nationality in the Old Testament, but it is to be applied in the New Testament to the church. One thing you can do as God's servant is that you can rest in His comforting grace. I'm going to read to you two passages of Scripture that are found in this fifth section. Sometimes you may struggle with anxiety or depression or fear or what's going to happen in this uncertain future. Hear this, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, speaking to you, the church, fear not, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And one other passage, Isaiah 48, verse 17 and 19. 
Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you, you should go. Oh, that you would heed my commandments. Then your peace would be like a river and your righteousness like the ways of the sea. Your descendants also would be like that of the sand and the offering of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not even be cut off nor destroyed before me. The way this applies, it applies to the church. I encourage you as God's servant, as God's people, if ever you face hardships or trials, meditate on verses or chapters 40 through 48 in the book of Isaiah. But then there's a little irony here within, within the book of Isaiah. And it's getting ready for the sixth section of Isaiah because God identifies his nation at this time in history as his servant. And his nation is to be a servant on behalf of the nations to serve others. But the, the irony is this. Though they are called to serve God, they can't really do what God calls them to do. In Isaiah 42, verse 19, God says that his servant is blind. Their, their eyes do not open. Their ears are shut. Which means there must be another servant rise to the occasion. That other servant will be a suffering servant. And that's what's leading Isaiah to the next theme, to the sixth section of Isaiah that I'll get to next week. In in anticipation of that suffering servant, this is what Isaiah speaks about him here in chapter 42. God says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Another great irony is that one of the great things you can do as God's servant, his group servant, his, his national servant, is you point people to the ultimate servant. The suffering servant that we will read about in the sixth section of Isaiah. And of course, you can trust what God says about him because God has predicted the future on so many occasions. And he brought the future to pass on so many occasions that you can bring your full trust to what the Scripture says about that suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will strengthen us with your word, that you will comfort us with your hand of providence over all of history, so that whatever happens in the future, we can rest in your saving grace, that we know that your promises are true, that you, can, you will carry us through all the waters of this life, And we look forward to the great day in which Jesus Christ will return, will raise the dead, and usher in the totality of the new heavens and the new earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.